0: Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So I want to start with a personal story. Um, when I was a kid, as most kids, I used to be terrified of the dark. It was crippling. Uh, at times my mind would play tricks on me, and at times I'd actually see things terrifying supernatural things that I won't get into today. Um, but the only thing that helped me to get uh, to sleep was imagining that Jesus was right there lying next to me, kind of like a father would, hopping into his son, uh, in bed just to simply comfort him with his presence. As life went on, I trusted less and less in this silly imagination and began falling asleep to the glow of my television. Yes, my parents gave me a TV for my room, Uh, And for many years after that, I would rely on this entertainment to distract me to sleep, lulling me night after night in an attempt to find rest that I was longing for. Of course, sleeping with the TV on all night only leaves you so rested, and so I was perpetually tired for years. Turns out, the method by which I was trying to fall asleep actually left me longing for more rest. My distraction, my quick fix, actually left me wanting the real thing, real rest so today this metaphor isn't lost on me in fact it's become even clearer to me as i was writing down this story that i traded in true rest and true peace for what the world promised i would find comfort in i had no true sense of peace but believed that i could at least be distracted away from the lack thereof i know today that those were empty promises especially when compared to the three promises i'd like to look at at the end of the passage that Mike read today, where Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, peace my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. So the first promise I see here is the promise of his presence. He says, Peace I leave with you. Now, the disciples often struggle to pick apart uh, Jesus' cryptic words, but if they caught on to what he was saying here, they'd truly be dumbfounded, I think along with all the other prophecies jesus had fulfilled thus far he was starting to fulfill what god promised in ezekiel 36 where he says i will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols i will cleanse you and i'll give you a new heart and a new spirit i'll put within you and i'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and i'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God's telling him here that that God will be—he's pre- telling that, that God will be present with them forever, no longer confined to having to uh, meet in uh, meet with him in a place or always require an intercessor besides Himself. He's also promising that He'll give them new desires that align with God's desires and His Spirit in us to help us act upon them. He's differentiating our experience of God from uh, that of, of those who came before us. Now, based on my research, it can be really controversial, uh, this topic of you know, Old Testament people being filled with the Spirit, whether they were filled, or He rest, rested upon them, or whether it was a temporary or permanent filling. But, but what I can be sure of, in any case, uh, is that the Spirit's work today is not limited to a certain people, nor is God's presence limited to a certain place. What Christ promises in this passage is an everlasting, assured peace with God to be able to know him intimately and be used by him because we have an indwelling of his presence. We have the spirit in us at all times, no matter where we are. We have full access to God. Uh, I see a bit of a foreshadowing of this in Exodus as well. Uh, God had told Moses in chapter 33 to go to the promised land and that he would drive out all the other nations from before them even though God's people were a stiff-necked people and Moses was the one who would meet with God as the people would wait and watch in anticipation once they saw that God's presence had descended where Moses was uh, went to meet them they would begin to worship now what's truly a beautiful foreshadowing is Moses' request which I kind of have to believe that this was the desire of the disciples as well. He says, he says, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know, uh, sorry, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, God said to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Said, Moses says back, if, if your presence will not go with me, Do not bring us up from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I, and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I, and your people, from every other nation, every other people on the face of the earth? So as is right, Moses wanted to fully align with God's way of thinking. He wanted to truly know God, not just know of God. He also didn't want anything to do with this mission without knowing that for sure God would go with him. His humility here acknowledges that it's God's work, it's God who works through him to accomplish his purposes. He knows he needs God's presence at all times. So, in giving us his spirit, he's, he's reviving our consciousness to a new way of being, to think and behave in ways contrary to our former selves when we were debased in, in, in our thinking and constantly running away from God rather than to him. Now, of course, does this mean that we will not sin ever again? No, of course it does not. Because Just because we are filled with the Spirit does not negate the fact that we have still all this garbage that we are getting rid of. Um, of course, you know that's the case. Uh, and, and, and And I think that God's not expecting this of us. I don't think that is God's expectation, is that we will never sin again. And that's why it's so reassuring to read in Philippians 1 that... He, God, who began a good work, and us will bring it to completion. R.C. Sproul also echoes this sentiment when he reminds us that true Christians can have radical and serious falls, but never final falls, total and final falls from grace. So we may fall, but His Spirit is continually picking us up, forgiving us, guiding us, convicting us, and encouraging us. And He, because He is with us. God, uh, Jesus came this time around not to stick around forever, but to show us the way to the Father and to leave with us all uh, what we need in order to make our way to him. Later on in chapter 16, Jesus tells, us, uh, tells his disciples how much better it will be that he leave and go to the Father. And I can't help but wonder if they just rolled their eyes at that statement. But he tells them, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. For then he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you these things that are to come. He will glorify me and he will make uh, he will take what is mine and declare it to you so jesus is showing them how much more beneficial the person of the spirit is to them at this time rather than god's physical presence his physical manifestation in jesus offering us his omnipresent power to all people at all times through his holy spirit this i believe is having having coming down in an active and intentional effort to bring us peace with god to bring us god's eternal presence god with us on earth, though not quite yet as it is in heaven, but with the Spirit continually pointing us to Christ to begin our forever worship even right now, while we experience life in a way that I think stirs up deeper worship than a life lived without hardship. I say this because I've been I've been really kind of pondering this idea for the past couple of years, actually, uh, the idea that that. Uh, this experience of pain that we have as humans this experience of suffering is actually what compels us to appreciate more viscerally and more fervently the love of God for us had it not existed we'd be like the angels Peter writes about who long to understand what the mystery of salvation is that lurks within the human experience where we've been saved by grace afflicted though continually and yet continue trusting in God what is this salvation that he's he's set apart apart for us for humans And how are we withstanding this, uh, the suffering? So the depth of our worship is actually driven by our acknowledgement of what God is walking with us through in this life and what he's saving us from in the next. God's presence is not just around us. God is with us. God with us means God comes down to be like us, to experience life as we do, to show us how to live, to reconcile us to himself and subsequently equip us as we need him to for his glory and for his kingdom's advancement. So this peace he's given, this peace he's given to us came in the form of his presence in this life and is one that only he can give more than a silly childhood imagination. He's there with us all the time, which leads me to my second point, uh, his promise of peace. He says, my, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So, this line here speaks to a beautiful contrast between the peace of God and whatever the world can offer. Like searching for peace in the glow of my childhood TV, it reminds us of the futility of looking for peace in, uh, in created things in, in things, in looking for things, and looking for anything but God to save us. Scripture is full of examples of this over time. You might recall Israel's propensity to look to the world's form of salvation, whether through creative idols or looking for a man to be their king rather than God over them. Of course, it's clear that those efforts only ever resulted in catastrophic turning from God, usually. See, the world's promise of peace tells us that we ought to seek whatever makes us most happy, and that, that'll that give us peace. In fact, peace is just a state of mind. In fact, peace is really whatever you think it should be, whatever feels best. The world tells us to search inside ourselves and to know who we truly are, and then we will have peace. And millions of dollars are spent constantly to promote the idea that if you only find your true inner peace and know who you truly are in that sense, you will find it. And Honestly, in preparation for today, I was reading through countless quotes and book reviews promoting the search for inner peace. And the common thread with how the enlightened world achieves peace is altered self-reflection, though it may be good, but it's all considerations around the internal and neglects the external factors. Now I'm not against knowing yourself and coming to terms with and being at peace with who you are. much of my own life's work has involved that. But the promise that this will be this will bring ultimate peace is a futile thought because it doesn't address the one who we've we haven't made peace with, the one with whom the final buck stops, God. That's the external peace. Now, whether christians or non-christians seeking peace whether knowingly or not we're all searching and longing for that same peace that same sense of peace and unable to actualize on it now unfortunately the church isn't free of this rhetoric either in fact it's a massive industry in north america preachers touting god's wishes for your riches from the pulpit while bibles are absent from the pews and used mostly out of context The promise of God's peace in the fleeting form of health and wealth doesn't deal with our greatest need, actual peace with God in the form of reconciliation. Health and wealth serves me, but the benefit is not mutual. He wants our hearts as we should want his. But this is what Jesus promises us, to finally be at peace with God, to be reconciled with our creator, to know true and ultimate love, joy, peace, My peace, Jesus says, my peace, the peace that I have with the father that I had from before the foundation of the world when I was in perpetual, beautiful, glorious, perfect communion with the whole Godhead. That's the peace I'm talking about. Let's see Santa bring that down the chimney. So in this passage. He's promised us his presence. He's promised us peace. And now we see the third thing here is that he's promised his power. It's the promise of his power when he says, let us let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now I'm not convinced here that Jesus was just telling them not to be afraid. Like, Hey, don't worry guys. It's all going to be fine. It'll work out. Don't worry. Don't be scared. Hey, it's cool. I'm not convinced he was telling them that at all. Now, one, they, they they didn't have to be afraid. I think he was telling them that. But two, I think it's because his promise of the helper, the Holy Spirit, would supply them with exactly what they need to experience this boldness that's required of each follower of Christ in this life. In this context of the passage, this statement feels to me like more of a commissioning rather than just an encouragement. The reason I'm convinced of this is because this passage that we're in his book ended with this exhortation to not let your hearts be troubled verse one of this chapter begins with the same words and he he continues to explain that a belief in him is a belief in god that christ is the only way to the father and if you've seen jesus then you've seen the father but then he says something interesting here that ties these thoughts together truly truly i say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that i do and greater than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Based on this line of reasoning, he's saying then that, that Christ is one with the Father, so we are to be one with him. As one has seen the Son, they have seen the Father. And now Christ puts his spirit in us, to, re- to now. So, so now we reflect the son, he even goes so far as to say that his disciples will do even greater things than he's done. That can only come through the power of the spirit. And this is the power that started the church it's the giving of the holy spirit the the catalyst of boldness that allowed people like peter who notoriously denied even knowing jesus to stand up in front of crowds and preach christ without hesitation this is the power that emboldened stephen to speak up for the gospel and be confident in his hope even as he was being stoned to death the holy spirit is the gift that keeps on giving jesus is our gift but he leaves us his spirit in order to remind us of god's love God's nature and to be uh, to us a continual source of guidance, wisdom, help, comfort, boldness, as if Christ was there physically right next to us, just as I'd imagined when I was looking for comfort as a scared kid. Now there's this temptation, I feel, to think of peace as the absence of pain, distraction, toil, suffering. That may be true in heaven, but I don't think it's necessarily how it is on earth. What this passage teaches me is that it's actually the assuredness in the presence and power of God throughout the pain, distraction, toil, throughout the suffering. And by his power, not only endure, but thrive in this life. He's not only giving us peace. He's, it's not a passive peace that's meant to simply make us feel good. It's an active peace that emboldens us to do good. So let me, let me ask a question then. What, when you think about peace, what comes to mind? Think about it for a second. Is it, is it a tranquil moment by the sea? I like long walks by the beach, so I'm, I'm into that. Is it, is it a moment that you, that you finally lay your head down at night to sleep? Totally. Love that moment. Is it those surprising moments when the kids are actually quiet for a minute and you can enjoy a cup of tea or coffee? rare as it is i get it that's it's the feeling of calm in the moment it's the feeling uh, of being unfazed by the outside world to find clarity of mind to not let the worries of the world get you down but of course as we know this is not a place we get to enjoy for too long eventually it'll rain and you'll have to leave that tranquil sea eventually You have to wake up from your arrest, and eventually your kids will come to you yelling obscenities about the most inconsequential event of all time, like the cup being pink instead of yellow, when I really wanted the yellow cup. Daddy, why don't I have the yellow cup? I want the yellow – and you get what I'm saying. This kind of peace will come to an end. But there's a reason why we like it, and there is a reason why we long for it, because in those moments, we're closer to a relationship with the outside world that is not shaken by the outside world we have an expectation that this peace shouldn't end that this is as the world should be and we're not wrongly it. that's how god had wanted it to and that's what's going to be in the next life but in our world that's stricken with the viruses that plague our society of death or discrimination of course we we, we know that this life uh, Uh, That these moments won't last forever in this life. And, 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 and the the encouraging thing here is that we have a spirit who dwells in us as, as Christ followers to give us peace, even in these difficult moments, that's, that spirit, he will surely last forever. His presence in us surely lasts forever. Now I told you at the beginning of my crippling fear, uh, but I never told you how I fully overcame it. Um, I had a lot of fear growing up, and not just fear of the dark or supernatural stuff. I had a lot of fear for my life in many instances uh, growing up in a culture of violence where I did. But I remember the moment my heart gave way to God's peace for the first time. It was when God had begun to call me back to him after having neglected our relationship for years. (laughs) Excuse me. I found myself on my bed asking God to help me find peace in, in the darkness, not to not be afraid anymore, to, 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 to truly just find rest. I opened up the Psalms randomly to one that I hadn't read before. It was David saying the following. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrows that fly by day For he will command his angels concerning you to guard all your ways. And he continues on and says, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The concept of God is... As hiding place, God as provider of ultimate peace became my rest to me that night and every night after reading that passage. And in the spirit of the season, as we consider peace in the context of Advent, in the context of Jesus coming down to earth to, to resolve our conflict, our fear, our struggles in himself, I can't help but wonder what fears plagued Mary and Joseph as they prepared to welcome God incarnate into the world. What kind of peace could you even have at a time like that? Especially in the context of having not really heard much from God a few centuries prior and, and, and Israel's hope probably dwindling day by day waiting for this Messiah to come, this promised Prince of Peace. Where is this Prince of Peace? Where is our peace when rulers oppress us? when they take away our freedoms, and they tear us down constantly. Again, we can assume the refrain we've been talking about for weeks now and even this morning. How long, oh Lord? How much longer do we need to wait? How much longer are we gonna endure this? At Christmas time is when God takes that abstract idea of peace and embodies it into a tangible reality, into Jesus, who is not, not, not merely a symbol of peace, But our prince of peace, our prince of peace, with the spirit he's filled us with now, this peace is now in us to command our actions, our thoughts, our longings, and puts life into perspective of one who is unshakable, who wants us to enjoy his peace as well. It's not easy to live into these truths, into the things that I've said today, into the things that we've read in God's word. It's never easy especially with so much pain so much fear so much anxiety in our sin and pandemic stricken society but how amazing is it that god offers us an opportunity today tomorrow and every day beyond this for true peace through it all god help us take hold of this truth this christmas and for all of our days Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.